0: July 1995, six Western male tourists are abducted in the Indian region of Southern Kashmir by Pakistani militants. 25 years later, the fate of four of the tourists remains unknown. Sources for this episode include the Lewiston Tribune, the Associated Press, the New York Times, CNN, First Post, Foreign Policy, The Independent, the Hindustan Times, Caravan Magazine, Himal Mag, and the Spokesman Review. Hi guys, welcome back to episode 76 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. So welcome back to another episode and I'm giving you a new episode this week early on a weekend because I've started to kind of stress out because I've got so many Patreon location requests because I'm getting so many patrons, which is, you know, an awesome thing. (laughs) Um, So I thought I'd bring you a new one early this week and maybe I'll do a second one, you know, later this week because I used to back last year do two episodes a week um, and now I'm just doing one because I do have other work going on. And I'm sorry if I haven't got back to you straight away. This week, I a couple of days ago, I stayed at my father and stepmother's for a night um, because they live up in the country. And then the following day, I met up with my mum for lunch and I tried to kind of not look at my phone the whole time, which was really nice. I hate staying at someone else's house. It's so hard when you're 33, especially when you're like with your parents, (laughs) but it was good. Um, and you know, um, hopefully at some point this year, soon moving up that way, um, to get out of Melbourne. So I'm going to get into this week's episode, you know, quicker without going into too much stuff. I am recording this on my phone, not my microphone because if you listened last week, it kept like scratching and crackling out in certain parts. Something up with my new microphone, like it, it's meant to be green when it's fine and it can hear me, but it keeps going like red during it, which is really annoying me. So I want to say welcome to new patrons, Tegan, Lorna, and Jamie K. I've got an Aussie, a Scott, and an American this week. So thank you so much. Um, and I've had some beautiful emails from you guys and messages as usual. I always get nice ones. And thank you to the person who... <laughs> I've had a few really nice reviews left on like different podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, and someone wrote you know, what I've been saying, if you don't like hearing about these places, don't listen. So thank you to the person who, who did that. Um, now at some point I might have to choose, you know, not to do like lo- Patreons choosing a location because I'm getting so many patrons that I'm, it's being, you know, it's getting hard to keep up, but at the moment I'll keep doing it because I really like that you guys direct, you know, where we're going. So this is a Patreon location request for Kerry. Um, and This is somewhat close to her and I really like that when someone... Knows someone who's related to this. And she knows one of the men involved in this case, um, Donald Hutching, his wife, Jane, who I'll talk about in this. She lives in the same city as her in the States. And when I looked it up, I thought it would just be about a man called Donald Hutchings because that's what she wrote about in her message to me, Kerry. But actually, um, it involves, you know, six men um, and countless other victims as well. And when she requested India, I thought we'd be going to India again, but it's actually Kashmir. Now, You may have noticed I'm not, you know, skipping continents and trying to go to different ones in a row because I'm trying to stick in the order that patrons choose locations. So I didn't know this case. So when I looked it up, I thought it would be a man who went missing in Kashmir, but actually he was a man, one of six, who was abducted in Kashmir by a terrorist group. Um, And it's a really disturbing case. And I couldn't believe that I hadn't had it on my list already. And it really made me quite emotional. Especially because Kerry knows Donald's wife. And throughout this, because I had to piece the story together through different that's why there were so many sources I read out at the start, because there's no one set source that goes through all of it. I really, you know, really came to like Donald, who I knew the most about. Now, we've been to Kashmir before for the Alison McDonald episode way back, and she was the young woman who went missing in Kashmir in 1980, when she was backpacking with her friend through the country. And she was also the one that was connected to, they think a terrorist organization might have abducted her and made her speak English or teach English, because if you remember, one of the terrorist guys decades later was seen speaking in a Scottish accent, and a lot of you found that case really interesting. But it is important to listen to Alison McDonald's case if you haven't already, because I won't be talking about Kashmir really as much because I'll be repeating myself in this episode on that one. I talked about in depth about how Kashmir is a contested country between India, Pakistan, and actually China. Bad stuff continues every week um, on the borders where they fight for the right for this region of Kashmir um, and part was owned by India and part had Pakistan. Bad stuff continues to happen on the borders and it has for decades and really from about 1989 onwards, it was incredibly dangerous. When Alison MacDonald went there, it was a little bit more of a tourist destination. Now, to start with this, it's important to know that Pakistan, which is the same country that's suspected in the abduction of Alison McDonald is also suspected, you know, in this one. And it's also important to know that in 1989, just a few years before Donald and the other male tourists I'll talk about were abducted and vanished, Pakistan initiated an armed insurgency in Kashmir, which its formal name is Jammu and Kashmir. So again, I've gone through all that in the Alison McDonald case, so it's important to listen to that. Now, as I said, I had to piece this story together from so many different news stories and articles throughout the years from 1995 through to now where people continue to talk about this. Um, But towards the end, I found that the best resources for this to really get to know the guys a bit more were Suzanne Goldenberg. She was writing for Himal magazine about this. This was the first case when she was a reporter in India that she covered. Um, And there's also a lot of other great sources as well, which I'll put on the episode page this week. Now, Since 1990, there's been a decades long uh, militancy over Kashmir's independence. And as I talked about in Alison's episode, they fight over Kashmir. It's an incredibly beautiful place. And it's really sad that there's this constant conflict fighting over who it belongs to, because it's an incredible place that once upon a time people could visit, but really now going there, you're a little bit mad. Um, And about 20,000 people since 1990 have been killed in these conflicts over Kashmir. Um, So knowing all that, and as long as you've listened to Alison's case, let's talk about Donald Hutchings and the abduction of the Western tourists in Kashmir in 1995. So on the day, on July 4th, 1995, the day that Donald Hutchings and five other men vanished, I'm kind of making Donald the central kind of leader of this group just to make it easier because there is way more about Donald out there than the rest. Um, But there were different men who had kind of come into the same camp in the foothills of the Himalayas where they were trekking um, different people. So I'm going to go through the different males in the group that were touring through Kashmir at the time and just happened to be in the same camp um, when this event happened. So there were two British tourists. Um, they were Keith Mangan, he's of Middlesbrough and he was 42 years old at the time. And Paul Wells, who was 24 of Blackburn. Now, I think Paul was traveling by himself from what I can figure. Keith was traveling with his wife on the trip. These were just two working class men, British men who happened to, you know, be backpacking in the same area at the same time, which is pretty common. They were both working class guys who had never been abroad. Keith was an electrician um, and he and his wife, Julie, had been traveling around the world. Um, They planned this 18-month backpacking trip around the world. And at the time that Keith vanished um, and was abducted in Kashmir, they were less than five months into this 18 month round around-the-world backpacking trip. There were also two men in the camp at the time who were traveling separately. One was a guy called John Childs. He was from Connecticut. um, And Donald Hutchings, who I've talked about, and Kerry knows um, his wife Jane. He was Donald Hutchings was from Spokane, Washington, and he was travelling with his wife Jane Shelley, who was on the trip. Later on, two more men, Hans Christian Ostbro, Ostro, sorry, and a German man called Dirk Hassett would also come into play. So we're just focusing on the two Brits and the two Americans initially. Donald Hutchings was again an American um, who Kerry knows the wife of. He was a neuropsychologist. Back in Washington, and at the time of his abduction, he was trekking with his wife Jane Schelling in the foothills of the Himalayas with the other tourists. They had also hired a Kashmiri guide to go along with them. He was a really worldly guy. He was an experienced traveler, um, and he had been with Jane for quite a number of years, and they loved doing exotic trips together. Back in Spokane, um, where he was from, he loved the outdoors. And he actually worked as a neuropsychologist specialising in victims of brain injury. So he was doing an incredible job. And the more I learned about him, the more I really, really thought if this was going to happen, you would hope that someone like um, Donald Hutchings or Don, as he went by, was with you. He really kind of made himself the leader of this group. He was an avid mountain climber. He was a member of the Spokane Mountaineers um, and he was married to Jane Shelley since 1991 and she was a school teacher and they just had really similar interests. So now at the time that this happened, it was a really insane time to go to Kashmir and tourists were really being warned against it. The 1990s Pakistani insurgency had locals living in fear. Groups would come through, you know, um, and, you know, the locals would be terrified of them. Um, And people, their alliances would shift um, as certain people who wrote about this said. I'm going to read you a little bit from foreignpolicy.com. Quote, no one is certain who is on whose side as idealistic Kashmiri freedom fighters are manipulated by Pakistani ISI agents and their families are punished by Indian authorities. Local warlords change sides regularly, turning on each other with ready brutality at the right price. Police and intelligence agents on the same side end up working against each other, each with a different goal in mind. And caught up in the middle of this is a group of foreign hikers drawn by the beauty of the countryside and kept in the dark about potential danger by inept local authorities eager for the much needed tourist revenue, unquote. So that sets the tone for what's about to happen in the Indian controlled um, region of Kashmir. So that brings us to July 4th, 1995, Independence Day in the USA. And The Americans and the two Americans, um, one of them with their wives and the two Britons, one of them with their wives, had met in a camp in the foothills of the Himalayas, which is near the Pakistan border. I think it's around 50 kilometres or 33 miles from memory from the capital of Kashmir, which is Srinagar. Um, This is when a group of around 16 militants um, arrived in the camp. This camp was about 18, eight, sorry, 8,000 feet above sea level um, and these men kind of stormed into the camp with military rifles and they had scarves kind of covering their face as they approached the men and their wives. So these men really didn't know what to think because as that excerpt from foreign policy said, they were kind of lied to about what the situation was and how dangerous it was in Kashmir in order to bring in that tourist revenue, which is kind of a common thread throughout this podcast. This, as there would be a book um, that is out since 2012 called The Meadow, um, that is, this area is what it's named after, The Meadow. Um, it is around Pahalgam in the Anat, Anat region, um, district of Kashmir, kind of in the south of Kashmir. Now, according to the Associated Press, these men with their guns and their scarves covering their faces stormed into the camp and immediately demanded to see all of the tourists' passports. Once they looked at them, they then separated the men from the women in the group, and the women were left in the camp, which was one of the Britons' wives and Donald's wife, Jane Shelley, um, and the four men were ordered to then go with the gunmen. The gunmen said they were taking them to a nearby town and they said that they were going to have their passports checked by the militant's commander. So the men went along, maybe thinking this was all part of what happens. The two women stayed behind. Also, the Kashmiri guide that Jane and Don had hired was taken with the men. The men did not return and the women stayed overnight in the camp, obviously probably terrified um, of what was happening. I don't know um, about the other wife, Keith's wife, but Jane Shelley seems like a really strong woman who, you know, you would want in this situation and maybe that's why she was drawn to Don. When the men didn't return um, and, you know, night began turned into day, The Kashmiri guide then returned um, to the camp. He had a letter that was basically the militants had written a letter for him to return to the camp with. This letter that demanded that the four men would be returned in exchange for the Indian government releasing 21 political prisoners in exchange for this. So they went back down the mountain and to Srinagar to, you know, raise the alarm and to get the authorities to try to find the men who were now, you know, up in the Himalayas, 8,000 feet above sea level. Now, there is another version of this story that I found um, where the women were sent down with the note, but that's not the case. The guide was returned to the camp with the note and they all went back together. Now, in the note, the group identified themselves as Al-Faran. They said they were a Pakistani militant group. Um, and this group, well, it was actually like a ruse. It was a made up name, but it was actually part, it was an offset of another group called Hakat ul-Ansar. This was listed as a terrorist group by the US State Department for a number of years before. The Indians refused what al-Faran was saying. They didn't want to release 21 political prisoners. Many of them were very dangerous people in exchange for these four men's lives. un al Sa, which is the group that they were operating under the name al-Faran, but it was an offset of Hakat un ansar was basically a cover that they were using to avoid publicity and to make sure that it never led back to them that they were the ones in charge of it. Um, their goal was basically to get the release of these commanders that were held in Indian prisons. So from then we the men were set off, and we know that four days later on July eighth, John Childs, who was forty two at the time, and he was one of the Americans from Connecticut, he escaped from the abductors, which is a pretty ballsy thing to do. So he was actually one of the, he was the only one of the group that would live. He told the Associated Press, quote, I took advantage of darkness and bad weather and escaped at 2am, unquote. Quote, I was not released, I escaped, unquote. Now he would later give a interview um, to Men's Guide, I think, where he would talk about the different people in the group. Um, and he, in one part, he said that when he was escaping, he kind of looked around and saw these men sleeping um, in a hut, um, who he had the other three men, and he really just didn't want to leave them. Um, he basically, when he released, he said that the men were very tired. It had been about four days and they had been walking constantly. They were like frog-marched for pretty much four straight days. And this was up to heights of around 13,000 feet. So if you're anything like me and you get altitude sickness. it's probably, you know, going to take the wind out of you and make you sick and very tired. Now, he said that he had been looked after quite well by the captors, that he only had a few bruises on his feet, which were from hiking through the mountains when he didn't have shoes on after he escaped. They had actually treated them quite well because they knew that they were important assets to them. He said that they would stay in the huts of local residents throughout this part of Kashmir. Um, and yeah, he said that they'd treated them relatively well. He, in particular, said that Don Hutchings was the one that kept the group together. He always tried to keep a positive demeanour. And I got really emotional, like, when I read that, um, things about him, because not only does Kerry, patron, know his wife, and that's that connection to this podcast, but everything that was said about him, he just seemed like the guy that you would want in that instance. And unfortunately, to this day, we don't know what happened to Don Hutchings. Childs told Men's Journal, quote, when Don Hutchings tried to engage them in talks about their families, one of the militants just patted his gun and said, this is my family, unquote, which is like a bad line from, you know, like The Godfather or something. Um, John Childs also said that the militants had become quite fond of Donald Hutchings, and they called him Cha-Cha, which meant uncle in their language. And they were trying to practice their English um, with Don Hutchings. John Don Hutchings told his fellow captives, um, quote, it's a lot tougher to kill a smiling face, unquote. Now, they would later release a clip um, of the men sending back a recording um, to prove that they were alive as well as a number of um you know, photos of them alive. One of them I've set us the episode photo. So if you're listening on Spotify, you can see it. Um, he would say on this recording, which I'll play for you in a minute, quote, Jane, I want you to know I am okay, but I I do not know whether I will die today or tomorrow, unquote. So he's pretty, you know, he's a pretty tough guy because he's, you know, putting on a front for his friends, you know, in the, his fellow abducted people, but inside, you know, he, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Now <clears throat> on the same day that John Childs escaped, the Al-Faran <laughs> decided that they were going to kidnap two other people to make up for that. And I don't know how they treated the other three men um, because John Childs escaped. I'm sure that they probably took it out on them. Now on the same day, they, they, um, abducted two other tourists. Um, one was a German, Kurt, and the other one was Hans Oster, who was a Norwegian tourist. They weren't together. They were actually tracking separately through this area. Um, Dirk, the German, he had quite a modest background, um, and Hans, quote, had turned wanderer and seeker after his share of personal troubles, including divorce, unquote. And that was from Himal magazine. Um, now John Childs claims, um, afterwards that he offered them, he wanted to go back into the jungle to help his, you know, fellow captives. And he pled with the Indian security forces to let him go back with them and to show them where the other three were. But they declined this and ultimately had him removed from the country and sent back to the US. Um, Now, he also attempted to have US special forces enter Kashmir, but India would not allow that as is another common thread on this podcast, it's their territory and no one else is coming into it. So they would send, you know, I think about 10 days after um, they were all abducted, which would have been July 14th, they sent their first recording back. Now, I'm going to play it to you. It is on YouTube. It doesn't sound very clear. Now, there is another clip, but it only plays Don and John Wells talking. So, I'm going to play them to you. And the one that you can't understand afterwards, I'm going to tell you what it says, because thankfully, the person in the YouTube description has um, put a transcription of it. So, this was what was sent back with photos of them. They sent Over about a month or two, they sent photos of them holding the most current newspaper so they knew that it was up to date. Also, this is just a recording of the one remaining American and the two Brits talking, not the Norwegian and the German. days and many nights over the mountains and I am I'm tired. The news you have been has been okay for me. Uh, Jane, I want you to know that I am okay. But I do not know if today I will die or tomorrow I will die. I do not know what will happen. I appeal to the American government and the Indian government for help. Hmm. My name is Paul Wills. I'm to I've to do the work 10 days ago. Day. We have the them for, for 10 days now. We are very tired. This very well well This is At the moment, I have a kick first person the which is a well It is officer. Good. I would like to the to do everything possible. I'm just going to play you another recording of that that I found which is quite a lot clearer but it doesn't have Keith talking it just has Paul Wells and Don Hutchings um you may be able to hear it my name is Paul Wells I'm from the United Kingdom I was captured at Little Work 10 days ago we have walked the Himalayas for 10 days now we are very tired the Mujahideen of Teresa is very well we've been well fed but if the Indian government doesn't sort the situation out very soon we may be killed or tortured or beaten up I am Donald Hutchings from the United States of America. I am okay, but we have walked many days and many nights over the mountains, and I am I'm tired. The Mujahideen have been okay to me. Uh, Jane, I want you to know that I am okay. I'm just going to read you the transcription of what they said, um, which someone has thankfully transcribed because the Keith recording isn't good. I am Don Hutchings of the United States of America. I am okay. We have walked many days and nights over the mountains and I am tired. The Mujahideen have been okay with me. Jane, I want to let you know I am okay. I do not know today... I do, not, I do not know. Today I will die or tomorrow I will die. I do not know what will happen. I appeal to the American government and the Indian government for help. My name is Paul Wells. I am from the United Kingdom. I was captured 10 days ago. We are very tired, unquote. So I don't think they could understand that very well. But I think he basically says it's something a bit longer along the lines. Keith Mangan, I'm from England. At the moment, I have a touch of food poisoning, but otherwise I am okay. Judy, please don't worry. They're treating us all right. I am appealing to the Indian government to do everything possible to help with our release, Unquote. So I just want to play those because especially Paul's, it's so clear, you know, everybody knows a guy that sounds like that. Um, it's just really shocking um, to know that he didn't walk out of that. So in mid-August 1995, around just over a month after the four men had been abducted and then the two men after that, um, Hans Christian Ostro of Norway was found decapitated. He was found in the village of Sier, which is around 30 miles from where the group was last seen. So they had been walking constantly for this month. Now, his head was pretty much placed close to his body and he was tied up, basically, somebody said he was trussed like a like a turkey or something like that. In his pocket was a note from Al Faran that read quote we have killed this hostage because our government has fa- because the government has failed to accept our demands in 48 hours if our demands are not met the other hostages will meet the same fate unquote. Now according to the book, The Meadow, which I haven't read. I haven't actually been able to find it. I was hoping they had an audible of it. They don't. It is on Amazon, but it is, I think, about 600 pages long, um, which I would really like to read. And I will talk about that book in a little bit. Hans Ostro had become quite a handful for the captors over the month after he was abducted. He had regularly tried to escape from the group um, and he had tried to charm locals into basically helping him. So... He was a bit of a like Houdini um, but unfortunately they didn't want to put up with that anymore so he was decapitated and I can only imagine that the way that these terrorist groups work and I know this um, because they were later tied to a number of other beheadings, they generally do this in front of people and can you imagine how terrifying that would be? Also carved into Hans's chest were the words Al-Faran, After this, many lost hope for the men because the note basically said within two days, the rest of them would be killed. But on August 24th, 1995, new photographs were released um, and a further taped message. In it, um, Keith, one of the Brits, tells his wife, Judy, quote, I love you, please pass on my love to my family, unquote. Now, Judy and... Jane, um, Don's wife, had remained in Kashmir for months after, you know, trying to get answers. And I'm actually going to play you a clip of Jane Shelley, Don Hutchings' wife now, um, talking back then about why the men should be released. Back again in Srinagar, the relatives of the four Western tourists held somewhere in Kashmir have been given fresh hope by reports that they could be still alive. (laughs) Relatives have come to plead for the release of their loved ones. The wife of an American hostage wants Pakistan to do more to help get him released. The Pakistani government, I feel, has as much responsibility as the Indian government to get to the bottom of this and to provide us with information. If anybody has any information, or if you think you can help in any way, please come forward and speak to us. This photograph shows one of the captives, injured Britain, Keith Mangan. Six were originally seized, one was murdered, another escaped. Al-Faran, a Muslim group fighting Indian rule in Kashmir, is thought to have taken them. Its demand for a prisoner swap was rejected by India. Kashmir's new chief minister says he knows where they are. We are hoping that um, some form of contact will be made soon and that... um, unless the international pressure builds on Al-Faran, I don't think they are going to release these people. So the family, time and time again, actually for years would return to Srinagar, the capital of Kashmir, and, you know, keep this case alive, repeatedly ask for any information. They were not giving up. And Jane Shelley was, you know, the head of that. She really spearheaded that. Now, after the Norwegian Hans was murdered and found decapitated, a crisis task force was assembled in the capital of Kashmir, Srinagar, and about 45,000 Indian security forces were dispatched into this region of the Himalayas to search for the men. The kidnappers were moving the men from camp to camp um, and making them, you know, frog march through this quiet. Um, rugged territory. I will put up the news segments where they filmed them looking. Um, It is a lot rougher than I thought it would be. Now, what is important now? um, Sorry, the Norwegian Foreign Ministry spokesperson um, after the death of Hans said, quote, what is important now is that those who are responsible for this act have to answer to it. A US State Department spokesperson said, quote, we strongly condemn the killing of the hostage and call on the Al-Faran organisation to quickly and unconditionally release the remaining hostages, unquote. Now, to understand what the men were going through at this time, I found another story that quite strongly ties into this, because these two people's names, David Mackey and Kim House-Go, were their names were repeatedly brought up in association with this case, So almost exactly a year before the abduction of these six men in Kashmir, two British men, Kim Housego and David Mackey, were abducted in the same area of Kashmir. They were not held for months and months. They were held for 17 days and ultimately released. Um, Their demands were the same of their kidnappers. They wanted political prisoners released. Um, They um, both Separated. they separated the men from their wives on this trip. It was all very much the same. Kim spoke to The Independent in 1997 about his experience with this terrorist organisation who he believes is probably the same people and it really shocked him when he found out that Hans had been decapitated because he really thought he was, you know, a hair away from that happening to him. He said that the experience was the same, that they were constantly moved deeper and deeper into the wilderness by the Muslim militants. Um, He kind of has memories of almost comedic things happening, but also being fearful of death every day. Um, He said many of the people who were holding him, because remember, we think you know, about 16 people came into the camp that day and took the initial four men away. In Kim's case, it was the same. He said some of them were as young as 16. Some of them were Muslim fanatics. Um, some were local Kashmiris who had kind of been roped into helping them. As we know, they were staying in huts of local villagers who were probably too scared of these militant groups to do anything about them. They even bought Kim and David new clothes um, in the lead up to them being released. And there was kind of a quote from Kim saying David kept him sane through the whole thing because he's very down, down to earth and reasonable. And David had said to him, well, they won't buy us new clothes if they're going to kill us. Um, now, photos of the men were continued to be sent to the family for pretty much most of 1995. They were holding up their newspaper, which proves that they were alive on a certain date. Um, and some of the pictures, including the one that I've made, the episode picture on Spotify, some have them kneeling down in front of their captors who are pretty much holding guns and have scarves covering their faces. The Indian Intelligence Bureau had photographs of them that were so detailed that a lot of people had issues with this, which I'll talk about later. They said, um, well, people who kind of questioned this said they were so detailed, quote, you could see the sweat on their brows, unquote, as the men played different ball games to while away the hours in their captivities. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit in the lead up to talking about this book that came out, The Meadow, um, which takes a hard line on this case and pretty much points to the fact that the Indian government knew where the men were the entire time. They could have got them out any time and they pretty much let them die so that Pakistan would look terrible and India would look like, you know, the victim. It was a good PR exercise for for India. The people who wrote the book, which are two journalists from The Guardian, they questioned thousands of people throughout this area. They had written about Pakistan um, and a nuclear deal in another book. I'll So when they wrote The Meadow, they went there and spoke to, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people. They spoke to villagers in the area who reported um, seeing the hostages beaten up. They spoke to a foreign woman who informed the army about where they were. um, And she was then raped by a major of the Indian army. In short, they believe that India let Pakistan kill the men to highlight Pakistan as monsters. Suzanne Goldenberg um, for Himal. Mag said, quote, one American escaped it and it seems as improbable to me now as it did then was personally rescued by the governor's security advisor who just happened to be in the area in his helicopter, unquote. So when John Charles escaped, he was rescued by the governor, governor's security advisor who was just in the area with his helicopter. And this is why a lot of people believe that they knew exactly where they were. Jane Shelley reminds me a lot of Alison McDonald's now late father, Kenny, who went to Kashmir about 37 times after 1980 to get answers as to what happened to his daughter. And I often wonder, you know, reading about this, whether Kenny and Jane could have met and, you know, shared their grief and maybe, you know, helped each other um, through through this. Um, but I really doubt that they did. Ultimately, the remaining four men um, were never found, and the search wrapped up pretty much after a year. In December 1995, about six months after the men were abducted, the kidnappers sent through another note that said that they were no longer holding the men hostage, and to most people this indicates that the men had been killed because most sources um, and witnesses in the area say that the men were killed about nine days after an Indian military ambush that killed four of the original hostage takers in this area. So maybe the men, you know, at that point decided to disband or they were so angry they killed them, but they believe that the men were killed nine days after those four original hostage takers were killed in December of 1995. Um, A body was found in 1997 that many believe to be Britain 24-year-old Paul Wells. Um, But it's really weird because Kashmiri police said it was him. But I found lots of, I never found a definitive answer. I found lots of articles that said that when it was sent back to Scotland Yard, Scotland Yard couldn't be sure it was him. In 2012, this book was written by the Guardian journalists I talked about, Adrian Levy and Kathy Scott-Clark. It's called The Meadow. And it really, as I said, claims that the Indian government knew all along where the men were, um, and they basically sabotaged their own negotiations for the release. Um, And when you kind of read a lot about this, like I have, but I'm making it, I'm breaking it down pretty simply. You really start to get really fucking angry um, if this was the case. And they really have a really strong case for this. They did so much research. They went there. They spoke to so many witnesses. Um, and how can you say that every single person is lying? Every witness who said that, you know, they knew where they were. Um, basically, Pakistan, India decided to frame Pakistan um, for this to make them look good and Pakistan look bad according to this book the meadow the group al faran that had took the men were very ready to ma- basically negotiate a agreement was met which i think was about 250,000 us dollars and then someone in the indian government leaked the details and the talks basically collapsed which led to the men dying um, and a lot of people believe that this was all set up by india and they were never going to you know pay them eventually al faran Dispersed and no longer exists. Quote, and at this stage, renegades were instructed by their handlers to try and buy the hostages from Al Faran to let the crime continue. Unquote. On Christmas Eve 1995, according to the book, The Meadow, um, the four hostages were walked into heavy snow in the area. They were shot, killed, and buried. One eyewitness to the shooting said, quote, there was only one end for them and we all knew it. No one could risk the hostages being released and complaining of collusion, having seen uniforms and STF jeeps, unquote. So basically the witness is saying the hostages would have been released and then said that they were collaborating with the Indian government and the Indian government was involved in this. And I think this is a really good you know, argument, but makes you trust fucking no one. In 2012, um, the, Ind- the Hindustan Times, I found an article that reported um, that the state police had told the State Human Rights Commission in Srinagar um, that the master file of the entire case and everything involved in it was pretty much burnt beyond recognition in a fire. So there is nothing left of that. Um, now, in 1999, one of the terrorists that the group demanded to be released, one of the political prisoners, went on to be involved in 9-11, the murder of Daniel Pearl, which I will do at some point, and that was a beheading um, in Pakistan. Um, It also went on to be involved in the hijacking of an Indian Airlines flight in 1999, which was um, a flight from Kathmandu, an attack on Indian Parliament in 2001, and also linked to the London you know, tube bombings in July 2005. So these are really bad guys. And, you know, they went on to be released in 1999 after they had, the group al Faran had asked that they be released. They were ultimately released and they went on to be responsible for all of these things. So it's just fucking horrible. Everyone's a monster, um, except for the men involved. And It's horrible to think that they were alive through July, August, September, October, November, and then through most of December, you know, and what they were going through, whether they were sick, whether they had an infection, whether they, what they thought about, what they talked about, um, to keep their spirits up, you know, that kind of thing. So really that's the whole case. Um, I know it's not as detailed as other weeks because I'd normally talk about Kashmir. Um, but I have in the Alison McDonald case, and also I've got another case, um, It's hard to believe a small place like Kashmir has so many murders and abductions of Western tourists, but it's pretty much never ending. I've got another case on my list at some point that I will do, um, which is based, one of the things that Kashmir is known for is the houseboats Um, that, you know, are based just outside of Srinagar, I think. It's that and the Himalayas that it's famous for. And this happened on one of the houseboats. So at some point I will do that. But I just want to thank Kerry for bringing this to my attention because it's just it's just terrible at at one point you want to blame the person for being there but at the same time at the time they were keeping it under wraps the Indian government just how bad it was um and again it's just a case of Kashmir being a dangerous place to visit and you know hopefully at one stage it won't be anymore but I just can't see that happening so next week we're going to go, probably later on this week, I'm going to give you two this week, another patron location request. <clears throat> it's a place we've been to before but way back at the start. Um, so visit the website. I will put up this episode page with all the clips that I played you. It's at unknownpassagepodcast.com. Leave a review if you like the show and become a patron if you like the show as well because I love, you know, getting that email that says you have a new patron. Um, it makes my day. So yeah, um thank you for this Kerry and you know my regards go to Jane because I don't think I'd ever be able to get over something like that happening. Yeah, I just I just never would be able to. I'd be like Daniel Pearl's wife. I'd I'd just never, I'd always be trying to get answers. Um, you know. So anyway, I'll see you probably later on this week. Have a good week, guys.